I'd like to invite you to join me in Luke chapter one, please. We're gonna be looking at verses eight through 10 in just a couple of minutes. You know, sometimes the things we don't immediately see actually turn out to be the things that we should pay more attention to. I've learned that in my life. You know, as a pastor for a lot of years, I've done a lot of weddings, and sometimes I hear stories like this where a spouse will tell about their spouse in this way. They'll say, you know, we went to school, elementary school together, we saw each other as kids growing up, or we graduated from the same high school, or we you know, worked in the same building, or we were neighbors down the street, or we had common friends, but then there was this one day where suddenly we saw something that we'd never seen before. Sometimes the things that you don't immediately see turn out to be the things you should give more attention to. Happens in the court of law. Once in a while we read about a case that's been solved because an investigator found a detail that had been sitting there all the time, but they'd just never seen it quite the same way. Turnaround businesses often say that the solution to their problem came like it was staring them in the face. It had been there all along. They just never quite seen it before. You know, that's the way it is with the Advent story in a lot of ways. Advent's a story where we tend to focus on the main characters. We look at all the characters of the story, like we've been looking at Zechariah here. And sometimes we miss the most important details, the things that are sort of hidden to our eyes, at least in an immediate sense. And we're gonna see that in Zechariah's story actually today. Now last week, Pastor Danny gave us a little exercise. I don't know if you followed it, but as I was sitting there watching the uh, television with my wife, the, the exercise was this. As looking at Zechariah's story, remember he was blameless, but he was child, childless. And so Pastor Danny said, write this down. Your name is amazing, but, and then define yourself in such a way that sort of has been something hanging on in your life. Did you do that last week? Well, I wrote down in my notes that Larry is amazing, <laughs> which is hard to write in the first place. But Larry is amazing, but he often doesn't see what's really important. He obviously does, he doesn't always see what's obvious. The case in point, I'll be opening the refrigerator at home and I'll be staring inside saying, honey, I thought we got salsa. And she says, it's right there. And I say, where is it? And I kind of crouch and look in a little further and she goes, and she just bursts out in laughter. It's right there in front of you. This happens a lot in our home. I'm standing in the closet. Did my shirt come back from the cleaners yet? Yes, it's right there, right in front of you. Where? I don't see it. And then she comes in and shut. oh, it's right there. It's right in front of me. My wife has a little nickname for me. She says, where, where? <laughs> now, it's a little embarrassing to say this, but the, tr the reality is, is a lot of times, I'm kind of oblivious. I don't see things that are always important. So now it's your turn. We're gonna go to the text right now. Luke chapter one, verses eight through 10, and I wanna see if you catch something that is not immediately obvious. Beginning in verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Hmm. Did you see the little detail there that maybe you skipped over? I would hazard a guess that a lot of us have never seen that little phrase that while Zechariah was in the temple praying, 
All the assembled worshipers were outside praying. And by the way, in a COVID season, I kind of thought about that. They were all outside praying. And I thought to myself, this is interesting. We often don't see this detail in the Advent story, that there was something going on in Zacharias's life, which was amazing, but there was another thing going on that we didn't quite see. Today we'll see that God chooses some people in the Advent narrative to play some incredible roles. But the story itself of Advent is carried along, and actually the story of salvation history is carried along by the prayers of his people. Now I know that's a big mouthful to say from taking this little phrase in Luke chapter one, verse 10. But I would hazard a guess that many of us don't realize that prayer is the medium through which all of the work of God happens through scripture. Now as pastor of spiritual care over the last couple of years, I've been focusing a lot of my time and energy on prayer and I have to confess to you that I continue to learn more and more about what I don't understand about prayer. But this is what I have come to understand about prayer. And that is that it's prayer that actually does the work of God. You see, it's not like God is saying, hey, you need to work harder, Larry. You need to work harder, John. You need to work harder, Susan. He's not telling us to work harder. The key to effective ministry is not us working harder. The key to effective ministry is also not just trusting God to do it all. Some of us sort of fold our arms. We say, well, what's the purpose of praying? If God is sovereign, why should I even pray? He's gonna do what he wants to do. But the mystery of scripture reveals to us, really the mystery of prayer, is that as God's people are prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray, that engages the plan of God for him to do his work. There's nothing that happens in the redemptive plan of God through the story of redemption apart from the prayers of his people. And I love it that this is what we see right here in Zacharias' story. So today we wanna wrestle with the question of what kingdom movement prayer looks like. And that's a big question. And it's really a question not only for individuals, but it's a question for churches, it's a question for our church. Do we wanna be a church that prays or do we wanna be a church that that is driven by and focused on and recognizes that nothing is going to happen in ministry apart from the ministry of prayer. What about your life? Some of us today are saying, well, I've got so many things that need to happen in my life, but I just don't know how to pray, so I'll call the pastor and let him pray for me, or I'll call someone else and have them pray for me, but God wants you to be a part of kingdom movement prayer, and we're gonna see this in Zechariah's story this morning. I'm excited about this, it's gonna go real fast, but I wanna show you three observations that I see in Zacharias's life right here in these few verses that show us what kingdom movement prayer looks like. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is that kingdom movement prayer is marked by a sense of privilege rather than religious duty. Now right off the bat, some of us are in trouble because we realize that when we think about prayer, We don't think of it in a sense of privilege. We think of it more as a sense of duty. Prayer should be something we want to do, not something we just feel obligated to do. I'm sorry, but a lot of us look at prayer a little bit like going to the dentist. Now, if you're a dentist, there's no offense, you know, I'm not trying to offend you here, because we love dentists. I'm so glad I have a good dentist. I need to go to the dentist. And when I go to the dentist, I go there because I need to. I wanna have my teeth clean, I wanna have you know, good oral hygiene. But I don't really look forward to going to the dentist. It's something I should do, but it's not something I really want to do. 
And that's where a lot of us come on the issue of prayer. But that flips when we start seeing the privilege that we have in prayer. Now you say, well, Larry, where, where do we see this in the text? Well, it's right there in verse eight where it says that once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go to the temple and to burn incense. Now this is why a lot of us miss this is because we don't understand what happens in the temple. The temple is no longer in existence. Uh, these are, the book of Hebrews says these are the shadows of things that were to come. And so we really don't think much, we don't pay much attention to this. But here's what's going on. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the priesthood was uh, put into divisions, 24 divisions. And the priests were the sons of Aaron. Aaron had four sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu. They were actually killed the first day of their priesthood because they brought strange fire to God. Oh, <laughs> that's a little bit of a warning. So the two other sons of Aaron carried on the priesthood, and those two sons, uh, Ithamar and Eleazar, they had between them 24 sons. And so David, in 1 Chronicles 24, divides all the priesthood into 24 divisions based on the sons of Aaron. And that carried through all the way to the day where Zechariah steps into the temple. So Zechariah, because he was a priest, he was of Verse five tells us he was from the priestly division of Abijah, that was the eighth division out of 24. He would spend two weeks serving at the temple on a calendar year, and they would be two separate weeks, and when he showed up for duty, there would be lots that were chosen for different individuals to do different things. And there were, most of the things that the priest did were around the temple. Only a few got to go into the temple, into the area where Zechariah is here. And only one was drawn by Lot to actually be the one who brought incense from the altar to the burning of incense during the offering time, morning and evening. And if you got chosen for that, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Zechariah would have never been chosen after this day and he probably, most priests, would have gone, gone through their entire lifetime never having this privilege. It was like, in our sense, and I'm not condoning the lottery, but it is like winning the lottery. Zechariah has his day where he gets to go into the holy, the most holy place, the place where the sacrifices were offered, and that actually stood right before the curtain of the Holy of Holies where the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies only once a year. So there's no physical place that could be closer to the presence of God than where Zechariah was standing before the curtain and praying. Have you ever had a once in a lifetime experience? Actually, I've had several and I'm just gonna give you a couple of quick things here, I'll show you some pictures. Years ago, I had the chance to go up and fly in a decommissioned military jet. Uh, this was a Yugoslavian MiG. Uh, it was piloted by a guy by the name of Jim Wickersham. And, and this was an amazing thing. I don't know if you can see it there, but I'm, I'm the little guy with the, the, the red helmet behind the guy. I'm not flying the plane, I'm in the plane. And I remember we did outside loops and inside loops, and man, I got so sick, it was incredible. But I'd always wanted to have that experience, and I got to do it. Years later, I had the privilege of going out on the USS Carl Vincent with my father, who was a retired Navy veteran, 
and do a little thing called a Tiger Cruise, where on this aircraft carrier, we got to spend three days out in the Pacific Ocean. We got to watch F-14s flying by. They landed on the ship. I got to stand on the fantail of the ship and watch these jets come in. I got to do it with my dad. That was a one in a lifetime, once in a lifetime opportunity. Hey, I got to marry the woman of my dreams. Of all the men that she could have chosen in life, she chose me. And she still loves me. I hope after I'm telling this story, she's watching at home. (laughs) And you know what? I got to pastor one of the most amazing churches in all of the world, Three Crosses, right here in Castor Valley. I got to be the senior pastor for 23 years. I would call all of those things, and I've got other stories, but those come right up to the top of the surface in me as once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. I wish I viewed prayer more like I viewed those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. What is it that keeps me from seeing the incredible privilege I have to go into the presence of God and spend time with him The writer of Hebrews, in relation to what we're reading here about Zechariah's life, the writer of Hebrews writes this in chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. He says, therefore, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. You see what the writer is saying there? Do you realize what Jesus did for us when he came to this world, God's son in human flesh, the very season that we're celebrating, and he gave his life as a payment for our sins, and he rose again from the grave, and the writer of Hebrews says, because of that, not only do we get to go into the most holy place, the place where Zechariah stood, right at the curtain into the Holy of Holies, but we actually get to go all the way in. We get to spend time with Almighty God 24-7. I'm amazed by that, and I'm ashamed that oftentimes I don't take that opportunity. Prayer is a privilege. It's not something I have to do. It's a want to in my life. It's something that I shouldn't wait um, one minute before I get out of my bed to say, God, thank you for this day and begin entering into this conversation like First Thessalonians 5 tells us that we should pray without ceasing. It should be a constant dialogue in our lives, knowing the promises of Jesus. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be given to you, opened up for you. Matthew 7, 7 through 9. Or in John chapter 14, 13 and 14. Ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. John 16, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, until now you have asked me for nothing, but ask in that day, ask and my Father will give you everything that you ask for in my name, that your joy may be full. The scriptures are just filled, riddled with the reality of the privilege of prayer. I think about Mary and Martha, you know the story. Luke chapter 10 Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus and Martha's busy with all her work. Jesus comes in and Mary immediately finds her way to Jesus and she kneels at his feet. And there's not a whole lot of commentary given to what's going on there except we know that Martha is super busy. She's getting everything ready and let's not put Martha down for that. I mean, if Jesus was coming into our home, I think we would probably straighten things up a little bit. We would get ready for the visit that Jesus would have for us. 
And so there's Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha's busy working, but Mary is at his feet. And Martha sees this, and she comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and she says, don't you see my sister here? Why don't you tell her to get up and help me? And Jesus says, and I love this in verse 42, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Now listen, Martha was in the presence of Jesus too, just like Mary was, but Martha wasn't enjoying Jesus the way Mary was. You know, over the course of my ministry, I've met people who just seem to enjoy spending time with Jesus in a way that is compelling to me. And I, I would say that I have learned at times to enter into this kind of intimacy with Jesus. There are moments where I don't wanna leave his presence. There are moments where I feel overwhelmed with the beauty and the joy of being in the presence of Almighty God. And there's something so precious about having that experience. And I wonder, those of you that are listening right now, I wonder, is that your experience? Do you ever have a time where you just don't wanna break away? You don't wanna leave the preciousness of that moment? I'm sad to say that I don't have enough of those moments in my life, but I do, I do know what they are, and I do know what they mean to me, and how I yearn to have more of those moments. This is why the writer, the Apostle John writes this. He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked. This is the confidence. John says, this is how we know we can come before him because of what he did. Because of knowing that he has made a way, that it is a privilege to spend time in the presence of the Lord. You know, a few years ago, my daughter gave me a gift to go see the legendary uh, Steph Curry. Um, this was before he became the, the all-time superstar that he's been now. But I got to stand in a line with about a thousand other junior hires <laughs> that day in his first year of being a, a Golden State Warrior and I waited in line and I came up and I got this little picture and I handed it to him and he and he, he signs his name and I just had just a minute with him and I said I said I just want to tell you I, I appreciate your witness as a Christ follower and uh, and I pray for you and he looked up at me and he said wow I really appreciate that and then he wrote Philippians 4:13 right up at the top of the picture and I've never forgotten that. I'll never forget driving over to that event thinking, today's the day I get to meet my basketball legend, Steph Curry. Don't you think that our God deserves more of an excitement in our hearts that we get to spend time with him? This is what I see in this idea of Zechariah having chosen by lot to go into the temple. Let's pivot on seeing prayer as a duty and a discipline and let's see it as something that we get to do Secondly, kingdom movement prayer is also personal and communal. It's personal and communal. Now here's where we can focus a little bit more on what's going on. Zechariah is in this, the holy place. He's watching the sacrifices. And remember, two times a day, morning and evening sacrifices, he's offering incense. And the incense actually is a metaphor, it's a picture of prayer. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 141, verse two, it says, may, the, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. The psalmist is here reflecting on the beauty of what incense represents. The, as the smoke of the incense goes up, 
it is coming into the presence of God and it is a pleasing aroma to God. It's something that God desires. It's something that God wants to us to experience. We've got adult children. When our adult children come by to visit us, I sure want them to be there because they want to be there. <laughs> like if they came in the house and, hey, hey dad, how you doing? I say, hey, I'm doing great. I'm so glad to see you. They say, well, you know, we hadn't seen you for a while. We just thought we better come by. It's been too long and we just thought we should come by. You know, if there was a sense of obligation as a sense of presence and beauty and joy of being together, as a parent, you want your kids to want to be with you. <laughs> and there's periods of time as they're growing up that they don't want to be with us. And now that they're adults, they really want to be with us. And it's a beautiful thing. I wonder about us. Do we see God desiring for us to come? I wonder if he ever sort of, in, a, in my imagery, leans over sort of on his throne in heaven and kind of is wondering if Larry's going to spend some time with him today because he, he wants to, because he loves me. I'm his beloved. He gave his son for me. And he wants to hear from me. Do we see prayer as something that's personal and at the same time communal? Here's the little phrase. As Zechariah was inside, burning incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. There was something going on there, both personally and collectively. Now listen, we pray as individuals, but we don't pray in isolation. We pray as individuals, but we don't pray in isolation. What I mean by that is, so many of us are just a little too closed down in terms of our relationship with God. One of the downsides of modern evangelicalism in the Western hemisphere is that we've made everything way too personal. Now, it is personal, don't get me wrong, but it's not meant to be only personal. And so, you know, people say, well, I don't need church, I don't need other Christians in my life, I, you know, I, I don't really need all that because I've got my personal relationship with God. It is personal. But prayer is never to be considered as that which we do only in isolation. Whenever we pray, even for our personal needs, we're praying in relationship to others. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in that great prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. And he said, pray this way, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. All through this prayer are the, are the plural pr pronouns that show us that our prayers are not individual as much as they're, they're communal. Forgive us our debts as we, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation and give us our daily bread and so forth. It's all about a, a sense of person or personal but coupled with this beautiful orchestration of togetherness. That's one of the reasons why I'm missing church so much and can't wait for us to all be together like we used to be. I mean, I believe we can all still be together. You're watching your screen right now at home. And by the way, I have to question whether or not all of the people like you that are watching right now are actually gonna come back when it's okay to come back. There's a lot of people, I think, that are gonna say, you know what, I, I would really rather just sip my coffee and have my donut and just you know, sit in my jammies and watch services. And you know, that's what we're doing now because we're sort of forced to do that it can still be meaningful, it can still be beautiful, but let's not forget that there's coming a time where there will be the opportunity to come back. And of course, we'll be listening to the Spirit of God when that time is. But can't, the point is, can we depend on each other? Can we depend on our church to be people that are truly active in prayer, that we are joining with each other in prayer like the Lord's Prayer taught us? You know, I, I work with our prayer ministry. We get prayer requests that come over our website 
And then my admin sort of fields those and she sends them to me, the ones that want follow-up. And I do, I, I respond to every person that wants follow-up. And this one person sent a prayer request, needs, physical needs in his family and other things. And then he, he concluded in the follow-up portion to say, why doesn't anybody ever call me? And I thought to myself, well, first of all, I never recognized his name. I don't think he'd ever posted a prayer request before. I asked our admin, she said, nope, this is the first time. So I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna call him for sure. So I pick up my phone, I call him, and I say, hey, just, you know, we got to chit-chat. I noticed your prayer came in. I wanna pray with you today. He was kind of shocked, to be honest with you. And we talked a little bit more, and I said, by the way, just curious, do, do you attend Three Crosses? Are you a part of our church family? And he says, well, where, Three Crosses? He goes, I, I'm not sure where the, my wife and I, we attend a church up here in Regina. Regina, I know that's in Canada. <laughs> And I thought to myself, what? And so we got to talk for a few minutes and I realized that this guy has been posting prayer requests on church websites all over the country and probably all over the world. And he, when he has the opportunity, he says, please call me so we can pray. He feels so isolated. And he kind of broke down in tears as we were talking. He said, you, this humbled me. He said, you're the first church that is actually called. And I've been sending out these things for months. I thought to myself, there's so many people that feel so isolated. And if there was ever a time to pray, it is now. You talk about this Advent being different from every other Advent. Can you believe this Advent? And actually, you have to know, I'm, I'm thankful that this is an Advent that it feels like the way Advent ought to be. That there's darkness, that there's this loom and gloom. There's these problems, but we're waiting for hope. This is the beauty of what this Advent does for us. It makes, us our, it makes our hearts hungry for what God is going to do. Okay, it's personal, but it's also collective. The people were outside praying. I wonder when we come back together, when we call people to pray, will we gather together in prayer? Will there be a sense of this is something that we get to do as the body of Christ? Here's the third thing I see about kingdom movement prayer, and that is that it eventually reveals the plan of God. It eventually reveals the plan of God. Now, this is so good. Now, I have to borrow from Pastor Danny's sermon next week just a little bit. I'm gonna come at it from a little different angle. But in verse 11, I just wanna point out the fact that prayer actually does something, and I'm so grateful for this. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for decades Pastor Danny set it up last week. They've been looking for a child. And of course, they had other prayer needs, and they were praying in concert with what God's people prayed for, the glory of God, the manifestation of his glory in this world, the testimony and witness of God's saving power and work. Of course, they were a part of all that. But Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a son. And verse 11 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing right, uh, the right side of the altar of incense. Right there at the Holy of Holies, the angel of the Lord appears and says, your prayers have been answered. You and your wife will expect a son. Amazing, amazing. Listen, did you know that Zechariah's name actually means God remembers? And did you know that Elizabeth's name actually means God is faithful? And inexplicably, those two things come together here in this moment where God remembers and God is faithful and his plan is revealed Listen, when it comes to prayer, here's something I've learned, and you may want to just think about this for a minute. When it comes to prayer, it's always too early to give up, and it's never too late to start. 
Always too early to give up, never too late to start. Some of you, I know listening, watching right now, you've given up on things that you've been praying for, a wayward child, some issue in your life, you've given up. You've said, you know, God's not gonna do anything with this. I wish you could just get a little interview with Zechariah for a moment. He prayed for decades and lived in what looked like shame to the people around him, but he trusted God and God in God's timetable and God's sovereignty he came through. Listen, I'm not telling you that God's going to give you everything you're asking for in life because I don't know if it aligns with the will of God for your life, but I'll tell you this. If you're praying in accordance with God's will in your life, hold on, it's always too early to give up and it's never too late to start. Some of you are listening, you say, I've never prayed. Well, start. By the way, sometimes prayer moves things forward quickly and sometimes it moves forward in a very slow way. I love Hudson Taylor. He said, when we work, we work. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, he said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. That's something that's worth remembering. All the effort that we can give, all the things that we think we should do, when we work, we work, but when God works, when we pray, God works. You know, the story of God's redemption there was a period of over 400 years where there was absolute silence and it is this story that Luke shows us in his gospel that breaks the silence. God is showing up. And maybe for some of us, that's what we need today. God showing up. You know, um, I met a gal in our church about five years ago. Actually, she and her husband just moved yesterday to Texas, and she wrote me a little email a while back, and she reminded me of the first time she came to church. She said, Larry, do you remember this? And I do remember. I was walking through the lobby of the church, and I, she looked like she didn't know where she was going. It's easy to spot a guest. And I said, hey, do you know what's, where you're going? She goes, I have no idea. I said, well, hey, come on in here. And I introduced her to a family, and they went up and sat in the church. She didn't know I was the pastor. When I got up to preach that day, which happened to be a baptism Sunday, she was so overwhelmed by the love of God for her life. I remember we gave an invitation. She came right down here and Robeep gave her life to Christ. She said, Larry, what you didn't know about the story was this. She said the night before that happened, she had sat in the driveway of her home and she seriously considered taking her life. She didn't want to be with her family. She felt she was inconsequential to her family. Her marriage was strained. She didn't feel valued. And she contemplated for two hours, she sat in the driveway of her home, thinking of ways to kill herself. And about a half hour into this dilemma in her brain, it wasn't an audible voice, but she heard something inside say, you should just pray. She thought, what was that? And she went back to think about other ways that she could do, drive her car off a hill, take some pills. You should just pray. She went back to thinking about this. this can't, I'm not going crazy. Who, what is this voice? You should just pray. Three times she heard that, so that's what she did. She prayed. She said, I walked into the house, and suddenly I felt a peace that I'd never had before. And I remembered a friend inviting me to three crosses, and the next morning I got up and came to church. And that was the day that Jesus revealed himself to her. The dawn of hope happens when we seek the Lord through prayer. He'll meet you today, right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you for the story of Zechariah. Thank you for the series, The Dawn of Hope. Lord, as we prepare to worship you now, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to that person who's given up on, on prayer, given up 
on bringing their heart to you. I pray for the one, Lord, who today has never even begun. May they hear the beautiful invitation of your Holy Spirit to come and trust in you and give them, give you their lives. And Lord, right now, we want to worship and we want to praise and we want to thank you. And we want to meet with you, even in this moment, wherever we are. So let these moments now be sweet to us as we worship, as we praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for giving us all that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.